Welcome everyone, we are the MI Guys. My name is John Gilbert, and next to me here on this Zoom platform, we got Tammy Calais. Hello. And our director, Casey Jackson. Hello. And you are tuned into the Communication Solution as we are here to help you with serving the individuals, the organizations, and for the community that you serve with particularly motivational interviewing to enhance your outcomes and really serve people. So to do that today from a leadership perspective, we are gonna put that lens as a leader, how you can implement something like motivational interviewing in your process. So to do that, we're, we're gonna kind of be exploring some things with Casey as he has worked with various organizations, which might be a place to start Casey is like, how have you used this with organizations in the past? How, isn't this just a clinician tool, you know, where a lot of administrators go, no, 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 that's not for me. Uh, I think our, our staff need that and just go through a day of it too and they'll get it. So they go through that and then I'll do my thing. So what would be the point for an administrator or a leader to even think about uh, communicating differently in this way? Well, you know, and I'll tell you, John, it goes even beyond that. Even within motivational interviewing, I still remember at, uh, uh, one of the motivational network and trainer forums I was at in San Diego uh, years ago, one of the keynote presenters was just talking about how, you know, motivation is an individual method of communication. It should not be used in organization or organizational change. And I was like, that's odd. I'm using it for organizational change right now. Um, so, and now there's, there's actual, you know, books written and, you know, even subcommittees specifically for motivation and organization and leadership. So, Again, we were innovative, which was awesome. Um, that we were kind of on the front end of that, which was cool and effective. You know, and the way that it started, John, was I was doing providing training, and you kind of in my early years of providing MI training, and Washington State Division of Vocational Rehabilitation, um, their program coordinator, the training coordinator, asked if they could sit in one of my trainings and said, sure, that'd be great. And they sat in the training and they were shopping around for MI trainers and ended up, you know, landing with me as a trainer. And they started out like most organizations do, where they just wanted to have their workforce trained in an evidence-based practice. And they'd really been doing a lot of research and, and, and filing through and filtering and distilling down what was going to be most effective for their organization. And they identified motivational interviewing. And they wanted to find the right trainer for it. So I just, I lucked out that I got to be part of that project. And like most projects that I would work on, it's they wanted training for their workforce. But with the size of that, you know, they wanted 300 employees trained. Then I was invited to some meetings to give kind of updates and, and provide information to supervisors and to managers and executive leadership, which generates more questions. And then they were asking about like, what would our next steps be? And that was the launch of me really helping people start to look at this from an organizational perspective. And we can get into all the nuances and probably will in the podcast. But for me, the way my brain conceptualized it was there's no difference between an individual and an organization when it comes down to is my behavior in alignment with my values and my goals? And when it's not, I like to blame outside myself and make excuses. Or that's just the natural, natural way of things. So when I would talk to organizations and say, you know, here's your vision statement, here's your mission statement, here's your value statement. Um, and then I would look at the workforce and look at the customers they had, not feeling like the organization was aligned with it. And I'd bring that to executive leadership. 
what's the first thing that they tend to do? Blame outside themselves and make excuses. Well, it's about the budget or we need this for funding streams or this is policy we have to follow. And, and it was so quick for my brain to connect the dots with this just sounds like a client. Why aren't you taking your medication? Um, what, you know, why are you drinking as much as you're drinking? Why are you using illicit drugs? You know, what's, you know, how are you dealing with these, these issues around your insulin intake? And what are people doing? They're blaming outside themselves and making excuses. Mm -hmm. So it was a fairly easy translation structurally from looking at the basic dynamics. And I think, I think the leg up from my perspective was not being so tied to the acronyms in motivational learning, just looking at the physics and really starting to study what causes change in individuals and looking at everything as a system, whether, you know, we can look at computer systems, which are pretty easy to look at either binary or digital and to look at organizational systems in, in similar ways and be able to assess where there's issues, assess where they're at in their stage of change in whole as an organization. And then what implementation would you do uh, to be able to actually move the organization in the direction that they that they say they want to move towards. So that was kind of my, my foray into it. And it was such a successful project. Um, just, I was, I was enlightened and it was reinforcing for me because it's all the things that obsessed with data, um, that the data fell out in ways, you know, that mirrored really successful use of motivational interviewing. So specifically in the division of oak rehab, they went from where they were about 55% um, of where they were supposed to be for their federal indicators. And after five years of, of doing a full system implementation project, they were at 120% of their federal indicators. So they more than doubled uh, where they were supposed to be. And it doesn't matter what the industry is, but the productivity rate for that industry was around 48 to 51% productivity as far as getting to the outcomes that the workers needed to get to. And the, the professionals that I was able to train up to proficiency, to measurable proficiency per a coding instrument, and they were sustained in that level of, of competency proficiency, uh, their productivity was around 77 to 82%. So again, nearly doubled the productivity. Um, so when you look at that over a five-year project, it just, that drew a significant amount of attention and a lot of attention meant that a lot of people wanted me to come and see if I could help their organizations. And that's kind of was the, the start of, <laughs> honestly, even the title of our company, the Institute for Individual and Organizational Change. Mm -hmm. And how do, Casey, how do you think it affected the leadership to learn, because the leadership also learned motivational interviewing, right? Yes. How yes. do you think it affected the behavior change with people who were on the front lines, having the leaders also knowing motivational interviewing? And, and the leaders that actually embodied it and tried it versus yeah. the leaders that embraced the knowledge, but maybe not the trying. I think that's a really important point when we're talking about being a leader versus mm -hmm. being just knowing the lingo. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you three three touch points I can remember that stick in my brain to this day. And that was, boy, that was 12 years ago, uh, 13 years ago. Um, and there's three moments in time. There's tons I could get into with three that stick in my mind with the questions you both asked. The first one actually going off, John, what you'd asked about was 
I was working not only with the frontline staff, but I was lucky enough to work with the, the chief of field services who oversees all the service delivery side of, of things across the whole state of Washington. And I remember in a meeting, she was with her regional managers and, and she was a little confused and a little frustrated saying, you know, I've told you that motivation is a priority. <clears throat> you know, why is there some gaps? Why are there some delays in this? And um, one of the regional managers just, they had a pretty open relationship, pretty open conversation, which was really healthy. And she said, to tell you the truth, what I struggle with is when I get back on the plane to fly back, you know, to my region, you've given me 15 different priorities as well, too. So I don't know where this really sits in the priority list. I mean, as regional managers, there's priorities around this, this type of training. There's priorities around policy that we need to get done. There's policies around productivity. You've got all these priorities and they're all top priorities. So everything's given top priority status. So I just don't know where this fits when I get back on the plane. I'm like, like what do you really, really, really mean? Yeah. And I think it was insightful for the leader to hear that and for her to really think about her messaging in terms of where does this fit? And which caused a conversation between the two of us um, in terms of saying, you know, how do I, how do I market this? Or how do I message this way? Because I feel like I'm being so clear. And she was definitely, but it was also in the context of, you know, 15 other top priorities for a state organization. Mm -hmm. And the analogy, because, you know, I'm the king of analogies, like my brain just works in that picture way. And, and what we came up with and what helped her articulate this to the staff and she actually used this as a way to communicate to the staff is she said we are going to be an MI adherent organization in probably the next three to five years like it is what my role as a leader you know shepherding the entire community service side of the of our organization we are going to be MI adherent and it's because it's it's who we are as an organization and it helped her get even more clear about their vision and mission statement, and um, which became one of the most, I, I use it all the time because I think it's so simple and it's so perfect and it's so succinct. And it was when her messaging is, we want to provide exceptional customer service. We want to have engaged and passionate staff. Mm -hmm. And we want to be one of the top producing vocational rehabilitation agencies in the country. And she said, if you want to be part of that organization, then that's what we're going to be. If that's not something you're interested in, any one of those three things, then that gives you time to think about if you want to do something else. And the way we're going to embody that vision, mission, value is with the skill set of mastering motivational interviewing. So over the next three to five years, I am going to be sending ships to the MI island of where we're going to be existing. And you don't even have to take any of those ships. You don't have to get any of the training. As long as you're providing exceptional customer service, as long as you're engaged and passionate and you're one of the top producers, if you there's more than one right way to get there, then you I'll see you on that island. Mm -hmm. And if that's not something you're interested in, that gives you three to five years to figure out what works best for you. Um, and she said, and I'll be sending ships over there all the time to help people get the skill sets they need so they're prepped to go by the time we get there. Mm -hmm. uh, and you just tell me what you need at any point in the along the way and I will make sure that I get access to those resources and supports. So whatever you need, you let me know um, because that is what my charge is as the leader of this whole project. So it was just so well articulated and it was so clear to the staff and it really did make a profound impact on how they perceive things because of that question, where does this fit with your priorities? Which really forced the, 
you know, this, this um, executive leader to think about, well, what is my priority and how much do I want to invest in this? Yeah. The other thing that came up was, so you were, Tammy, this goes to one of your questions in terms of then how does it kind of out there, if, if somebody in leadership does take kind of ownership of this. And so I was doing a, uh, am I skill building group with the executive leadership and this same leader said um <laughs> it's like the telephone game it, it was shocking to me to see it in action um that in this meeting of maybe seven people eight people in this meeting she said all right i'm gonna do it i'm gonna start to record and by the time we got out of the meeting, it had already spread across the entire state in terms of, is she really going to record? Who's she going to record? Like, so we hadn't even got out of the room and everybody in the state knew that, that this chief was going to be um, actually recording sessions and getting feedback to become skilled at MI, which mm -hmm. caused this whole cascade effect of people thinking, well, if she's doing it, we better start to like what supervisors are going to do this. Are they expecting we do this? So it created, it literally moved the organization from kind of early contemplation, expecting like most initiatives that it's going to fade and, and fall off um, into, they kind of sat up straight in their chairs going, wow, this is, we've never experienced this before. Um, and what Kathy is referencing real quick is the MICA coding that they were going to do. Right. And, and at the time it was mighty before MICA was developed, but it was a, it was a fidelity coding tool. Uh, and it was, it was amazing. The, the third point that I remember distinctly, so it was that kind of the organizational side of making that shift, the vision, mission, value side of it, the messaging piece. And the last piece was with the same, you know, executive leader. Um, and we're sitting down having a conversation and she said, yeah, but you don't understand our budget. You don't understand why we can do some of these things. And I said, oh, yeah, I know, but my only question was, is your behavior in line with your values? And she's like, yeah, but you don't understand. We've got this, this, and this. And I said, yeah, that I don't really care about that part of it. I'm just curious, is your behavior in alignment with your values? And she said, God, I just want to punch you in the throat. Um, <laughs> and as she walked through it, what she realized is if my behavior was in line with my values, then what I would do is I'd gather the data and I would go talk to the legislature about our budget um, and make my case to the legislature. And if I did that, then my behavior would be in alignment with my values. And there was something really powerful about that for her in terms of empowerment and being able to operate at a different level of integrity, which is, of course, the aha moment for every individual is, is my behavior in line with my values. And when I get really clear what those values are, what would my behavior look like? What do I do from here? And this is what tip, tips that ambivalence. So, so the, I mean, those questions you both asked just it, for me in that specific organization, which was the launch of me doing really comprehensive long-term organizational change work was extremely impactful. And then being able to teach and provide the skill set and supervision and ongoing consultation um, to have that project as, as incredibly successful as it was. What's really cool about that too is um, the second story where you're talking about the leader really embodying this is where we're going in three to five years either this is in alignment with our values either you're going to be in alignment and that that works for you or not is also what's fascinating is from an employee standard that's also like a pretty empowering thing like yes I want to be a part of that versus a you know 
I also have the option. I don't have to be a part of that, but who doesn't want that sense of belonging of yeah. this is who we are and this is who we're going to be like that, that in, of, in and of itself is very powerful too. Well, and, and Tammy, the thing that's so critical about that too, and this comes up quite a bit when I'm having these kind of conversations with different organizations in leadership is the biggest, the single biggest misstep is if they start to define motivational interviewing as the top of their mountain or motivational is the island, because that is that that will generate more resistance amongst your leadership team than anything else. And it will definitely generate a massive amount of resistance within the workforce. What the top of the mountain or what the ultimate that island or that destination is, is the vision, mission, and value statement. Mm-hmm. Motivation wing is the, the ship that helps get you there. That, that's the motor, the vehicle to get you to the top of the mountain. That's the motor, the vehicle. It's the way of being with people, the method of communication, your MO, your mode of operation, or being able to embody your vision, mission, and value statement in an effective way, which is incredibly helpful with personnel issues, which is such a significant part of leadership. Because then it's not about this punitive, necessary times compliance models based on hierarchy and policy. What you're doing is you are freeing people up to be the best version of themselves to actually add significant contribution to the organization because they show up to keep their behavior in line with their values of who they want to be professionally. (laughs) So, and again, which ties into what you just said, who doesn't want to work for an organization like that? Exactly. Right. Exactly. And I can tell people it's one of the two reasons that I have two exceptional people right on this call right now. You know, exceptional people from, you know, from, you know, from fields where they could be doing all sorts of other things, but it's because this is an organization that tries to allow people to keep their behavior aligned with their values. Mm -hmm. And just because you have that opportunity doesn't make it easy (laughs) at any point in time, because a lot of times we want to blame outside of ourselves and make excuses. Mm-hmm. But if the organization stays clear on that, and as a leadership, you know, we all stay clear on that. And as a team, we stay clear on that. It just feels like every day there's a reason to go to work and do the work that you do. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that to me is, and then, you know, I think it's, you know, that, that old adage that so many people wish they could live by, you know, if you find something that you love, you'll never work a day in your life. It's, I think that, you know, mostly for the three of us, I can say, I know for myself specifically, that is exactly how I feel. Yeah. It's blessed to work for an organization where I get to keep my behavior in line with my values and being able to serve other people to the best of my ability. Powerful too, just as a leader, when you're trying to work with your teams or employees and you get to empower them to say, Hey, this is who we are. And this is how I want to support you being the best version of yourself. Um, that becomes really powerful too. And then if you think about it too, from a team member perspective, you might not, you know, people talk about this. I've heard this for years. People go, oh, you're going to MI me. You might not recognize what type of communication they're doing, but you will recognize the feeling of, I don't want to say loved because that's cheesy, but of inclusiveness and connectedness and um, engagement, like you, you will recognize how engaged they are with you and how supportive they are of you as an individual to get where you ultimately want to go too. So it's, yeah, that's pretty cool. It's, I'll tell you one of the things that's just in my career, that's been so startling to me, having experienced it and having it seen organizations that move this direction 
you learn as an individual and you learn in observing other individuals that some of the things that we say we crave, the things that we say we're going to demand in a workplace are things that we are really intimidated by. Mm -hmm. It is startling to me when you give people freedom and independence and autonomy, people either step up and perform or they freeze. Mm -hmm. And and I've sat back and thought about it multiple times from an organizational perspective or from a cultural perspective, at least a mainstream cultural perspective. And I think we're so used to being raised in families and going then from a family to school systems and then from school systems, more school systems, and then from more school systems into employment opportunities for many of us. Not everybody takes that path. Yeah. But everywhere along the way, people are telling you what to do, which is why you have this craving for I'm tired of people telling me what to do. I want to do it my way. Mm -hmm. But then when given the choice to do it your way, if you're kind of floating out there alone and there's no response to it, then people quickly want to run back to the safety of being told what to do. Mm -hmm. So there's this discrepancy even within a workforce that you've got a workforce that what comes out of their mouths is I want to be treated with respect. I want to be independent. I want to have my autonomy. But at the same time, it's shocking that a lot of people don't perform when they're not given direction. Um, to, and they, they get lost in how to get their behavior in line with what they say their values and their goals are professional. Well, what's kind of fascinating with that is another podcast I listened to called The Happiness Lab. They talk about the science of happiness, essentially, and like how we're liars to ourselves. Um, yes. We say we want these things. Like yes. one of the trials they did was this connection and people say that they want to go on the bus every morning and they don't want to actually talk to anyone. They just want to play on their phones and everything. But then when they surveyed the people that played on their phones versus the people that joined like the party bus where they were talking and laughing, everyone said they wanted to play on their phones, but everyone enjoyed the experience way more of being with people. So anyway, to that point, we're all liars to ourselves. I don't know. <laughs> I, I love that. John. Yeah, yeah. There's there's so many things here to address that I just want to hear your your what comes naturally to you with, with some of these things. So the three kind of themes that come to mind that you've talked about are really powerful. One is this embodiment perspective of leading by being the leader of doing, in this case, the submissions of audio tapes, just like we've seen with COVID and the masks and however, whatever your beliefs are around all that. If you're going to have a leader that's focused on that, like the whole World Health Organization shows, you step up and you show, you demonstrate. First, there's ways of leading that transcend MI that get into leadership. And one of those ways with MI is submitting tapes and taking responsibility to figure that out, to show that you're taking it seriously, not just talk about it, but be about it. And that's a huge, huge point to what was happening in that organization. So there's a whole separate podcast we could get into of other examples of other leaders you've, you've worked with to do that in, right. in, in police departments and all sorts of things. So there's that piece. Now there's another piece here of um, how far do we take self-determination theory? And I'm, I'm going here because that can underlie at the end of the day, we are all responsible for our behavior in a line. We're responsible for our feelings and emotions is what the latest neuroscience shows. If you look at Andrew Huberman and his work, we're responsible for our emotions, yes. And there's a place for a team. So I wanna bring up talking about how do you mix this self-determination in teamwork and collaborating. There's a lot, I have some friends in, in Boeing and, and they go through a ton of different trainings from not only emotional intelligence to all these other personality types to strength finder. And there, there's evidence to show that they can construct teams based off of their different strengths or whatever 
to complement each other. So there is something around teamwork that's worth tapping into of how do you do that so that someone doesn't feel so alone. And I, I can speak that with my own experience, but that works on a team and that then you feel supported, not using an excuse to blame outside the self because that's a slippery slope, right? Sure. Um, but feel that support. And lastly, related to that, that I'm curious about from your own leadership perspective is challenge. How does that come in? Because you said to that leader, you go, well, I don't care about any of that. You didn't express empathy for this person's challenge at that point because they were ready to go. So how yes. does my fit once someone is like showing that they trust you, they're ready to go and how you bring in challenge for them to raise their level in a supportive way, be it on a team or individually. So those are just some thoughts I have that I'm curious of your thoughts and reactions or experiences to of how you bring that in from an MI perspective. Well, where do you want me to start? I mean, there's three really comprehensive questions there. It, it, embodiment, support people uh, in teams or not, and challenge for growth. Those are the three. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, on the embodiment one, you know, there's so much around, I mean, there's things written about, you know, the kind of shadow a leader casts. The, the, the leader, an executive leader, casts the shadow over the entire organization. So there's nothing that you do as a leader that is not cast somewhere in your organization that somebody doesn't see it. It's mathematically impossible for someone not to see your shadow that's casted by the way your behavior is. So, and, and I think this is what sets the health of an organization, at least from my definition of the health of an organization, is, is your behavior in line with what you say your values and your goals are? If you have leadership that's blaming outside themselves and making excuses, you literally are handing that to your workforce on a silver platter. You're training them to blame outside themselves and make excuses. And then you turn around and try to hold them accountable. And what that is gonna generate is a significant amount of resistance. And, and what we end up doing is then HR struggles because then it's like, well, how do we let go of these people or how do we manage these personnel issues and the thing is, is this is the shadow that the leaders cast. If their behavior is not aligned with their values, then are the values and the vision mission of the organization, there's work to be done there, which is no different than on an individual level. So this is why MI is MI is MI, physics is physics is physics, and why it looks, you look at this from, a, or I look at this from a cross-cultural perspective. So I think that's the, when you look at the, the shadow the leader casts, you really do start to think about this from a different perspective. If every single one of your behaviors is aligned with the vision, mission, values of the organization, that generates a certain level of inspiration. Think about it if you go to a movie. Think about it if you see an organization or a family or a team, the, the most inspiring teams you watch, Hoosiers, you pick any movie, you know, Miracle, whatever you want to watch, it's when a team comes together and they keep their behavior aligned with their vision, mission, their values, and they succeed, it gives you goosebumps. It, it makes you want to stand up and cheer. It makes you cry. It makes you want to be part of that organization. It's the same thing Camry is talking about. And, and that is cast by the leader. Mm -hmm. Is our behavior aligned with our values? Mm -hmm. And if there's a hypocrisy there, there's, there's nothing that's attractive for most human beings to hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. So if, there's a, a, if it's do as I say, not as I do, it, you are giving your workforce something to talk about at the water cooler and at coffee breaks, which is distracting from being productive. So it, it there's, you know, there's a there's a basic physics to human behavior, which is my obsession with the physics and motivational interviewing, that it, it is just physics. I don't care if it's a group of people dropping a pen or an apple out of an apple tree or one person dropping an apple out of an apple tree, you're gonna have the same results. It's just physics. 
Um, so that's what I look at from that, the embodiment from a leadership perspective, or an individual or collective leadership body. Um, and how do you message and communicate in a way that all things are being clear in a way, these are the ways our behaviors, we're making these decisions in a way that line with our vision, mission, values. We're having to adjust some things here to attempt to get our behavior in line with our vision, mission, values, when currently we realize that it's not. Um, or here's a, something that's being handed down from above us, or funding that's being cut. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna look through our vision, mission, values and make decisions that align with that. At least then the workforce is really clear. If something comes down that's not to my benefit, I know at least it aligns with what our organization is and I believe in the vision, mission, and values of this organization. So that I can trust the leadership to make those kind of decisions. Uh, unless it's a, just a CYA that they're covering their own butts or it's just a, a mixed messaging coming from different people in the same meeting. It's just, I mean, it's, you can just see the contamination and the toxicity that happens within organizations then. Mm -hmm. and, and so that is this high level. I love the casting the shadow. I love the demonstration of just integrity to see integrity, you know, responsibility to see responsibility. There's so much richness to that. And we are talking at a very high level right now, it sounds like with executive functioning or executive leaders and uh, administrators. So with the little bit of time we have, I think there's a whole separate podcast, a whole separate skill building we could do. I would be curious to hear about the supervisory series that uh, you've been doing um, that people can join as well as um, also just what that product is that we'll have available for people that are resonating with this. But to transition to that level of specificity, we're kind of talking at a very high conceptual level. So I'm curious on, on connecting these. When we think about using MI with individuals and teams, like I was asking about, how do you not blame outside yourself, but work as a team with MI and, and support each other? That's kind of one concept that you don't have to go deep into. But I am curious at a certain point, how do you support one another in getting behaviors aligned with values rather than feel like you're at it alone so much, that, that sort of concept. And then how do you challenge each other in that way, in a supportive way, like you did that one leader? And how do you do that in a practical way? I know you talk about it in these supervisory things and we're not gonna have time to kind of role play it here. If people yeah. are interested in that, we can. But how do you kind of transition into now you're gonna be working with teams and managers and supervisors, not just executive leadership, how do they start to implement this in an organization on teams and challenging each other, but in a supportive way? Yeah, it, I think it can be as the world according to Casey, I think it can be as simple or as complex as you want to make it because the, the analogy I immediately make or the comparison I make immediately is my role as a co-leader in my family. You know, um, I, I, you know, I've, I've shifted to really using these constructs and motivational in my personal life for, you know, at least 10, 15, you know, almost 20 years now. Because what it comes down to, I, I just think on an individual level, when I would, when I travel for work and I'm out of town for a long period of time, and when the girls were just born, the twins were just born, or when they were toddlers, and I get home from flying and training all week, and I walk through the door and they're screaming and jumping in my lap, and they're like, chase me, chase me. The last thing I want to do is chase them for the next hour. I just want to go to bed and go into a coma and sleep for three days. But what do I do? What is it? What if I'm watching the movie? What does that father do? He smiles. He laughs. He tickles their stomach. He chases them around for an hour and a half. Um, because that's being aligned with my, my values. That's what my vision and my mission, my values are as a father to children that I chose to have. So 
is it what I want to do? Oh my God, it's not what I want to do. When I look at the vision of that, it makes me feel like a better person because that is who I want to be, even if it's not who I am in the moment. So I have to act. I have to be that way in the moment. And I'm, I'm hyper aware of it. And I'm hyper aware of the message I'm giving to my children. That is no different than an executive director. Mm -hmm. Is if in meetings and when I'm doing briefings with a team, if I'm making lots of excuses and doing a lot of blame, then it gives my staff permission to do the same thing. That's what they're telling our customers and their friends and colleagues. And if I'm saying, this is how we're going to step up because this is who we are. This is who you are. This is why you love our organization is this is a challenge that may or may not be able to be overcome. But I guarantee between like the three of us on this call right now, the four of us total, I bet between the four of us, we can build a better mousetrap. And I trust it's going to align with our vision, mission, and values because this is who we are. And if it's not in alignment with it, then maybe we need to forego this process. Mm -hmm. So, and that's, and that's a decision point for the entire team. And it sounds like at this point, I think it would be rich for anyone listening to go, okay, well, what if, what if I did have integrity? What if I've really tried to owned up to all my side of it? And this person keeps showing up late, the reports keep having this same issue. And it doesn't look like we're going to have time on this podcast to dive deep into this. But I'm wondering if you could speak to that a little bit and then transition into the the series of training you're providing for supervisors and managers, and it could be executive leaders as well, that let's say they got their, they're really working on their communication skill set, but they're trying to help this person see if they want to align their behaviors, but they're just having troubles in doing that. Where do they go? What do they do? What are offers that if they're getting value from this, that could be through us. I just want to kind of parlay that as an option. I don't want to oversimplify it, but it honestly, it, because it's happened for me. Even at, at IFIOC, I, I've had somebody call me and absolutely emotionally attack me and unload on me. And, and thankfully, I was in a, a space because it wasn't in person, it was over the phone, where I could just kind of breathe back into equipoise and try to manage my writing reflex because it was so hurtful and it was so aggressive. But when I listened to it from a high empathetic place, I just thought, and I said this, I said, you're at a place where you cannot work for an organization that doesn't have integrity. This is not who you are and you do not deserve to be treated that way. That is not okay. And I didn't say that to myself. I was saying this to the employee that was chewing me out. And, and I genuinely meant it. It's like, who would work for an organization like that? <clears throat> you don't deserve to work for a leader like that. That is not fair to you. It's not fair to your mental health, your emotional health. It's not fair to your professional development. And anything you need to do to find where you're going to get the respect that you deserve, that's the support I want to provide for you. And the next day, I get a phone call of this individual sobbing and apologizing um, and saying that they were so wrong. They were just so upset. They had been having a rough time with physical health, with all sorts of other things going on. And that individual ended up working for me for another three years. <laughs> so, um, because, it, and to this day, we're close friends because it's, it, it really did help that individual, you know, ensure that their behavior was in line with what their values were. And, and, and the, the beauty that I know in what we do when it gets focused outside of ourselves. So, so that's what I think of, you know, that's a, for me, that's a personal experience, but I think that's the way as an organization and from an agency perspective would you want people working for you that don't embody or want to deliver or achieve to make it to the top of the mountain mm -hmm. and they don't feel like they're walking towards the top of the mountain i mean that it, it makes sense to me 
and you know, and I know that one thing for any leader or supervisor or manager that's listening to this, I know one of the most maddening things is that you're trying to inspire people who knocked on your door, called every two weeks to see if you would interview them. You finally interview them. They're begging to take the job and then they won't just do the things that are on the job description. I mean, that is the most maddening thing for administrators and, and people in HR. And part of that is how well when we interview people, are we crystal clear about what our vision, mission, values are? How much do we live it and embody it? And how much do we make sure that people we hire, that that is what their passion is? Or are we trying to fill a job position? Or is it somebody that can bring in some more revenue? If, if that's what you're trying to do, then put that at the top of your vision, mission, values. So, so, that, so it's in some ways, it's a little too simple, but I think in some ways, it's that whole keep it simple, stupid for me. I know that's what it is for me is I try to keep it simple because I can manage simple. Yeah, well, that's where that just goes to show there's so much of an approach like you just were talking about is sounds amazing and was amazing emotionally, skillfully. And to do that takes work and takes oh, yeah. some sort of <laughs> inner work. Oh, yeah. Sort of internal holding. You used uh, terms for those that are just listening to this for the first time writing reflex, equipoise. These are terms yeah. of motivational interviewing. Essentially, you're being triggered. Some people call that emotional intelligence and self regulation. All of that stuff we can know about and learn about, but it's different to, again, be about it. That's difference of knowledge versus being, knowing versus being. And I say that because- well, And John, I want to jump, I want to clarify too and let you finish that, but it, this is what I like to connect for people. The difference between the individual and the organizational level of it is it's no different than when I get home from working, you know, out and flying home and having twins that want to play. That's not what I want to say. When somebody is chewing me out, and I can tell you it is way worse with people that are not my family, my writing reflects on my desire to unload on someone mm -hmm. and to start to attack back. So when you say the level of skill set it takes, all I can do is bow down and say that is absolutely, it takes the intention to want to be that type of a person. And then it takes the willingness to develop the skill set to embody that as well too. So when you said that, I just had to jump in there because I can, if for hard as it is to do with my, my children at the time or to, the spouse that I want to be, it is significantly harder when I'm a little less attached to the person on the other end of the phone. Mm -hmm. attached but not as attached as i am to my family which makes it way more likely that i'd want to go off um and defend or attack so which which you're speaking to being a leader in your family just versus a leader in an organization exactly. which we can go deep into and how you do parenting classes and relationship communication classes and for those interested please we'll have tammy's contact at the the end of this to connect with her because we i know that's something you have very honed in with MI that some people say you shouldn't do. And there's interesting physics around that to talk about. But last but not least, as we're coming to the end here and wrapping up this podcast, you had also mentioned some other concepts that we have other podcasts on and that we train on and that are proprietary sure. to what you developed, Casey, with something like you said, the Focus Mountain. Well, what is yes. that, right? There's a wonderful concept that people have learned about. We have a whole podcast on the Focus Mountain. If you become a member, you can have access to our handout on that. And if you already are, you know the power of this. People have put this in their own organizations. And it's all about, and, and, and to wrangle in the group support too. I think it can be helpful sometimes to have other people help you align your behaviors with your values when you're not blaming outside yourself. But there's incredible groups that we've heard about, Casey, from introducing the Focus Mountain to support each other in having our behaviors align with our values, be it addiction groups or leadership groups. And so I would just, as we're wrapping up, um, 
want to hear about kind of the supervisor series you've been doing, the sort of product that we're developing around sure. that. If, if you've received benefit from this, I know you had a recent experience that we're creating a, a course on, um, and then also that people can join the supervisor series just to not like sell something, but genuinely, if you're interested in this, this is a group of people that are about this in a really honest way. So if you could just speak to that as we're kind of bringing it to a close. Well, just, I think it's, I think what was so profound about that actual experience, this last supervisor support series, um, our last meeting we had, was so much about just the the incredible amount of stress and pressure uh, and trauma that COVID is causing, not only individuals, but organizations. And depending what your funding stream is, you know, for some people, you know, this is great. For some people, this is just devastating for businesses, um, not even on the service level, but just on all sorts of different levels. And so in the supervisor support series, um, you know, it's a group of supervisors who genuinely want to have a safe place to talk about leadership, management, supervisory issues, look through an MI lens, and also have a place to just vent, um, a place to just be able to exhale and inhale and get refocused so they can be exceptional leaders. And it's just something that I, I've been providing, you know, we do kind of chunks of it, like six months at a time, you know, once a month for six months. And then people re-sign up. And this particular group's been going for two years now. Keep re-signing up. And with the trauma that's been going on with COVID, it was just such a profound, it was probably one of the most profound days that we've had together because of just the amount of trauma that supervisors and administrators are going through and trying to support their staff on a personal level and a professional level, knowing productivity is just so underperforming right now that people are struggling so hard. And then that that integrity ethical balance between how much of it is based on COVID and how much is based on, well, the expectations have been set so low because of COVID that people are spending way more time with their families and working less hard because there's less accountability. It's harder to hold accountability and people can come up with excuses. We have to step back and say, we can't really touch them because that's a legal legitimate excuse. And so people are, some people are using that legitimately and some people are, are exploiting. It's very clear. And so to be able to have this group come together and with such a, a working knowledge of motivational interviewing and have a emotional, transparent conversation, and then in, in this moment of vulnerability to be able to gently overlay the structure of MI on it and for people to actually have these aha moments. I mean, they've been studying this for years. They believe in it. They embody motivational interviewing. But in this moment of trauma that, you know, their executive functioning is kind of out the door, their cortex is, is exhausted and they're mostly in survival mode. So to have that moment of clarity where they can actually rise up again and take a deep breath and then put their arms back around their team and help get focused back to the top of the mountain again was just a really profound experience. Um, and again, it's not because of me. It really is because of the basic constructs of motivational interviewing that provide such an amazing waterproof blueprint for how do we support people in getting their behaviors aligned with their values? How do we help our teams get their behavior in line with our mission? How do we get executive leadership to stay really clear about what the vision is and for all of us to be operating with what our core values are? So yeah, it's just to be able to orchestrate that and provide you know services and supports for people around that has just been invaluable. And, and it was so powerful. I mean, it's the only time that the team, that that group themselves asked if I would actually record about five minutes in, they said, can we record this? Cause we're so exhausted. We're, there's gonna be so much richness that comes out that I'm not gonna remember that we recorded it. 
and we are going to make that available to people. And honestly, because Tammy the, and John, the work you guys have been doing, I think we're going to start offering more of those supervisory support series to people. I've always just done it in person. So now because of COVID, there's no reason not to, to develop some uh, Zoom support groups for that based on, you know, both of you saying that you think there's a huge need out there. Yeah, I'll just quickly jump in to say as we're, we're bringing it to a close, I think there's uh, quite a bit of people that have experienced you, Casey, that would say it's not just the concept of MI and how you uh, conceived it in even a little bit different of a way, but also you uh, and your magic a little bit in there too. So <laughs> I'll just say that. Uh, last but not least, that is a product where most likely uh, Tammy and I are going to be working on uh, probably through Udemy um, and making a product out of that. We'll make sure to notify you to make sure you get that notification. For the newsletter, if you're interested, uh, you can sign up uh, at ifioc.com slash membership. And so uh, Tammy will give her contact as well. But then also that support series will be uh, on our trainings coming up here in the new year. For those that are interested, and Tammy will give her contact if you're interested uh, otherwise. But yeah, that is huge to start giving that support for the people that are trying to support other people <laughs> and, <laughs> and really help the helpers help better because uh, they're getting exhausted and kind of being between a rock and a hard place here. So I think that's huge, huge. So Tammy, uh, what else would you have to add to kind of uh, close this out? I just want to wrap up by saying we do have um, options on our website. If you go to, we have a training survey. So that's another place that you can just give us your contact information and say, hey, I want to take these classes. Let me know when they're available. But we also have the upcoming trainings uh, tab at the homepage. And that's where you can see the upcoming trainings that are about to happen. Um, but otherwise, my email is Tammy Calais, T-A-M-I dot C-A-L-A-I-S at ifioc.com and feel free to send any questions my way that you'd like us to put into the podcast so Casey answers some of those questions on our shorter podcast or if you have any topic suggestions for our longer podcasts um, like this one is or, or if you have any comments or you want to be reminded about trainings whatever it is just go ahead and email me we'll get it worked out you know um, and what I want to add to that too from what Tammy's talking about is not only just the podcast, but everything, the membership, and even with the trainings and the support groups that we develop, it is 100% based on the needs that you have. So you can be professionally where you want to go and where you want to grow. So whatever we can do, really shoot them off to any one of the three of us. Tammy's our, our best point of contact, but any one of us will take your ideas and suggestions for more things for the membership, um, not only the podcast, for more things for trainings. Anything that helps you feel like you get to grow and develop, that is what we want to deliver. This is more about you and ways we can support you in your process. So I just want to add that in there as well. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, I'll just close with that because that was huge of uh, where you want to go and grow. Yeah. <laughs> that is a nice quote to end on. Of, that is what we'll do with an MI lens, an evidence-based lens, be it for leaderships or organizations or individuals. And last but not least, I'll throw in the motto or whatever you would call this tagline of why we created that. It's being the communication solution that will change your world is what we are all about. So hopefully this has done that, inspired some of that, clarified some of that, and we hope to partner with you in the future. And so thanks so much for your time. Hope it was worth it. And we are the MI guys on the communication solution signing out. Till next time. Take care.